welcome back. We just got to the point of discussing tweet number two, where Justice Preston in the Land and Environment Court had found that the commissioner in tweet number one had made an error of law in trying to stretch the zone objectives from the neighbouring residential zone into the rural zone and apply those to um, the development of Governor's Road that was associated with the proposal. We saw that because of precedent, the precedent that it's not enough just to find an error of law, but that error of law must be of such significance as to invalidate the ultimate decision. And that Justice Preston found that yes, there was um, those two steps there was an error of law and that that error of law had been significant in the in the ultimate decision of the commissioner which was to refuse the, the proposal again so was there another error of law in this judicial review and now we are at slide number 41 where the developer also argued that the decision in tweet number one contained a second error of law, which was a denial of procedural fairness. What is this procedural fairness? Well, it's about the requirement that's placed on decision makers to ensure that decisions are reached according to established legal principles. It's a part of administrative law. This is the law that governs administrative decision-making. For example, if we use an example that's uh, a bit closer to our own experience here at UNE, if I suspect any of you of plagiarism, I need to let you know what my concerns are and then give you an opportunity to explain what's happened before I formally make a charge of plagiarism against you. And that would be procedural fairness. So these sorts of procedural fairness requirements are used to hold administrative decision makers to account for the choices that they make in the interests of good governance. So we have an allegation that there was a lack of procedural fairness. Not only did the commissioner make an error of law in not approving the, uh, the development proposal, but there was also uh, a lack of procedural fairness in the Commissioner's decision-making. So what is this alleged denial of procedural fairness that was made in by the Commissioner in tweet number one? And this is information that's located on slide 42. So denials of procedural fairness all relate to a failure by the Commissioner to provide an opportunity to be heard or to make any adjustments on several matters before the decision was made. So it is alleged that there was questions about the construction of a consent condition, that there was questions about the location of buildings that adversely constrained house sites on neighbouring land and there was questions about the adverse visual impacts on visitors to the area from the proposed development. 
But it is alleged that decisions um, about these concerns were made by the commissioner without offering the developer an opportunity to respond and address those concerns. So procedural fairness is about making a decision that affects someone detrimentally without giving them an opportunity to be heard or to respond. Procedural fairness is something that is required by law and it's also known as due process or might also be called natural justice. So what did Justice Preston find about the procedural fairness question? And you'll see the answer to that on slide number 44. So Justice Preston found that the construction of the consent condition was not found to be a denial of procedural fairness, that the adverse finding about visual impact was not a, den a denial of procedural fairness, and that the adversity of impact on neighbouring dwelling locations was a denial of procedural fairness because the Commissioner had misunderstood the location of the proposed shed and not provided an opportunity for the developer to address that concern. So of the three claims that the developer made about the Commissioner's lack of procedural fairness, Justice Preston found that two of those were not denials of procedural fairness, but that one of them was. So we have in tweet number two, a situation where there was an error of law in stretching the zone objectives and applying them to a different zone, which was sufficient to, um, to mean that the commissioner's decision was invalid. And there was also this finding that on the matter of the location of the, uh, the proposed bottled water uh, shed and its impact on neighbouring properties and possible locations for dwellings, that that um, was a failure of procedural fairness by the Commissioner. So finding facts for which there is no evidence, says Justice Preston on slide 45, involves an error of law. And again, you can see there on slide 45, the precedence for that, um, that idea. So what Justice Preston is saying here is that the commissioner made a, made a decision about the impact of the development proposal on neighbouring properties, which was based on an understanding of where the proposed um, shed for production of the bottled water was to be located. However, there was no evidence that the shed was to be located where the commissioner thought that it would be, and that that situation involved an error of law. So therefore, the Commissioner had erred in making findings about several elements of the proposed shed without evidence to justify those findings. So, Justice Preston found that the Commissioner made an error of law. So what happens next? Well, what that meant, 
that finding of an error of law in tweet number two under a judicial review was that the decision of the commissioner in tweet number one was invalid. What happens next is that the, the proposal is sent back to be decided again by a commissioner in a merits appeal. And it's this second merits appeal, which is the subject of tweet number three. So here we are at tweet number three, the third and final in the series of cases. This was a rehearing of tweet number one in the sense that it was another merits appeal. So here we have the decision of the commissioner in the first merits appeal having been found to be invalid because of errors of law. It was sent back to a commissioner to be, uh, to be remade for the commissioner to stand again in the shoes of the decision maker and to remake the decision about whether or not to grant consent to the proposal, but this time in accordance with the law. So the development proponent submitted a new development application and this new development application was significantly different from the original. And the commissioner on slide 47 notes that because of this new development application, it's effectively a different proposal. Amendments to the development application that were significant and ameliorating um, included in particular the siting of the operations as well as the roadworks. Importantly, the roadworks in the revised development application did not change the nature of Governor Street and they did not require interference with vegetation on or adjacent to the road reserve. However, there was more to be considered because remember a merits appeal can take new evidence. So we're going back to square one in a sense with tweet number three. The decision has, of, um, of the commissioner was invalidated as being um, an error in law. So the decision is sent back to be remade from scratch, whereupon the developer submitted a revised DA and made some significant changes. Now because of this revised DA and the ability for the court in a merits appeal to take new evidence, there were further issues that were raised by objectors about the impacts on the environment and the heritage values of the area. The court's finding on these additional objections are uh, noted on slide number 51. In particular, the court found that there was no expert evidence about the impacts that the proposal would have on water extraction and um, impacts in Morton National Park. There was no significant visual impact or impact on trees along Governor's Street with the new road surface being able to effectively replicate the existing surface. 
because of the way that the proposal had been changed, there was no detriment, therefore, to the heritage values of Governor Street. There was some minor impact on an adjacent heritage property known as Jackman's Cottage, but that was only minor uh, and therefore not significant. That the revised proposal included sound stormwater management strategies, that it was not appropriate for the applicant to need to provide justification for the ecological sustainability of the bottled water industry in general. There were several conditions that were amended by the court to reflect the new development and ultimately there were a number of minor adverse impacts that taken cumulatively did, need, did not warrant a refusal of the development application. And so in tweet number three, the revised development was given consent. So there you have it. We have the Land and Environment Court dealing with this series of three cases. The first case being a merits appeal on the basis that the council had refused to give development consent and the developer brought the case to the court to ask for the decision to be remade on its merits. In tweet number one, the court did that and the commissioner refused to grant consent. Within that case of tweet number one, the developer alleged that the commissioner had made an error of law and so appealed the decision again to the Land and Environment Court to be heard by a judge and this is known as a judicial review of the decision of the commissioner in tweet number one. In tweet number two, the judge found that there was an error of law, there was an error of law in the way that the commissioner had applied the zone objectives to a neighbouring and different zone. There was also a procedural fairness error in the way that the commissioner had made a decision based on some assumptions about the location of the development and impacts of that uh, location which were not supported by facts. And so with the decision in tweet number one invalidated by the judicial review, the judge sent the, the, uh, the proposal back to a commissioner for it to be remade as a merits appeal, which is what we have in tweet number three. Ultimately following tweet number three with the rev revised development application, and the changes that were made to address several of the concerns, the development was given consent. So that's what we've covered today. We've covered this single development that's ended up being three cases in the Land Environment Court. Tweet number one being a merits appeal, tweet number two being a judicial review of tweet number one, and tweet number three being a rehearing of the merits appeal. It's important to note here that there are, there's a significant time um, commitment and cost 
in these appeals for one matter, for one matter to be subject to um, a development consent process at council and then three court cases is quite a significant cost and commitment of time. Now the content in this series of tweet cases relates to the module four notes and in particular you need to be aware of the role of precedent. We saw how precedent was used in tweet number two, the judicial review case, where Justice Preston having found an error of law was then required to establish that that error of law was so significant that it invalidated the ultimate decision and the list of authorities that supported that precedent. Remember, these are decisions that Justice Preston has made based on the precedent. These are not decisions that he was just making up on the spot. So there was also precedent playing a role in the uh, the finding of procedural fairness where we saw that there was a need um, for the commissioner to conduct his evaluation in a particular way and make decisions that were based on fact rather than on uh, making decisions which were not supported by the facts and there's precedent which covers those um, those approaches to decision making. Now on slide 56 what you'll see is a reminder about assignment 1. So for assignment 1 please read the instructions carefully. Note that there are five components of the assignment and that those five components assist you with what needs to be covered in order to answer the assignment question. Use that structure, those five components, as a way of developing your answer. Use it to structure your work. Use headings, use subheadings. These are ways to provide a framework for you to make sure you cover all of the areas of the assignment but also it provides the reader with important signposts about what the content of the assignment is. Especially please note the assignment tips on slide 57 and the sources that those tips point you toward. So that's it, that's the end of this episode which covers part B of the tweet series of cases and finished off there with a few comments about assignment one. Thanks.